podcast is on the basics of PERM, Labor Certification, Part 2. Each PERM labor certification case that is filed by an employer has certain basic concepts that do not change. In starting a new PERM case, it becomes important to go through a series of basic questions that I will go over now with you so that you have a better understanding of the entire process on how to prepare a PERM case, conduct your recruitment, through the U.S. Department of Labor's processing and obtain, hopefully, the PERM approval. The first question to ask is, who is the employer? Actually, the U.S. Department of Labor, or DOL, defines the employer by the Federal Employer Identification Number, or FEIN. Usually, the FEIN is the tax ID number, or the IRS number given to a corporation or a business. But this also means that even a household that wishes to sponsor a cook or a nanny would have to obtain the FEIN for the purpose of filing a PERM case, even if otherwise there would be no other reason to try to obtain such a number. Also, identifying who actually will employ the foreign worker is important because that person or entity will be the employer and that individual or entity is the one that requests the prevailing wage determination. It will conduct the recruitment and when finally the perm is approved, that entity or person will need to file the I-140 petition with the USCIS and demonstrate the ability to pay and show the existence of an actual job that needs to be filled. Ultimately, the individual or the employer that is doing the sponsorship for the foreign worker would need to show that this foreign worker will work for that person or entity when the person becomes a permanent resident of the U.S. That's the entire concept of the future job offer that we often refer to. The second question to ask is, what is the sponsored job? Well, the sponsored job is the position that the foreign worker is going to be performing, the job duties, and the job for which the person is being sponsored. That will be the focus of the recruitment in the newspaper advertisements, in the journals, etc. And it's something that needs to be focused because that's what will define the job duties, the minimum requirements for the position, et cetera. So the third question, which ties in with the sponsored job is, what are the minimum requirements for the job? It is the responsibility of the employer to identify the actual minimum requirements for a person to be hired for the sponsored job. The U.S. Department of Labor likes the concept of real-world recruitment, but in reality, the employer, the sponsoring entity, has to look at the specific rules and regulations that govern the kind of advertisements that will determine how the case will be filed. Usually, in the real world, 
there may be a difference because an employer will not have to go through specific journals or newspapers or run it for X number of days, etc. But all of these are determined and are complied with very strictly in order to obtain the PERM approval. In some cases, an employer may not have previously recruited for a particular job, may not even have thought about what kind of minimum education or work experience a potential worker would have to have at a minimum to perform the job. In a lot of businesses, you sort of kind of know it, you know what you're looking for, and you may not have articulated the reasons, but the Department of Labor requires you to go through a bunch of very specific requirements. The third subpart of that is part of establishing the requirements for a perm case requires looking at what is normally required for the job. The DOL defines normal requirements based on the ONET job zones, which are available online. In reality, some of these requirements may not match the employer's actual experience or actual requirements. The result is that the employer may have to show the Department of Labor or DOL the business necessity or how and why they require more education and or work experience than the government or the Department of Labor believes to be the normal or the standard for a particular job. The other concept besides the normal or the minimum requirements is the business necessity concept. The business necessity requires that an employer demonstrate that requirements are not greater than what the ONET says is normally necessary and needed for its business. This subject is also discussed in a few minutes. Basically, the employer has to establish a business necessity on why they want something that is greater than what is normally required by law or by the Department of Labor. The next concept is the employment-based classification in the PERM case. What employment-based classification will the PERM case be filed in? One of the first questions that an individual going through the process will ask the attorney or the employer is, hey, what's my specific employment-based category? Is it EB1? Is it EB2? Is it EB3? The job requirements and the labor certification will determine how the position needs to be classified by the USCIS during the second stage of the green card process or filing the I-140 immigrant petition for the foreign worker. In green card cases which are based on the PERM or labor certification, the I-140 is filed in either the second preference or the third preference categories. As many of you may know, in order to qualify for EB-2 or employment-based second preference, it is not just your own education and experience, but that the actual job requirements must require either a master's degree and relevant experience or a bachelor's degree and a minimum of five years of work experience, which is progressive post-baccalaureate experience. So, for example, a position that doesn't even require the five years of the bachelor's or doesn't meet the EB2 requirements will most likely fall into the EB3 category 
which again is divided into three subcategories. Professional, meaning requiring at least a bachelor's degree or the equivalent. The second category in EB3 is the skilled worker, meaning that the minimum job requirements require at least two years of work experience as a skilled worker. And the third is the other worker category, which means neither skilled nor professional. Um, and the quotas and the waiting time with the third other worker category is even longer than the regular EB3 category. So we're talking about the minimum requirements for the position and how it works, and that's the employment-based categories. Obtaining a prevailing wage determination, conducting the recruitment, filing the case, will all depend on the categories to some extent because the salary or the wage will usually be higher in the higher employment-based categories because it's considered more sophisticated, more complex job duties, etc. So when we're processing the PERM application, some issues can be raised with questions asked by the Department of Labor about whether the case was prepared correctly and whether it should be approved. So the important issues that you need to be aware of as the green card sponsoring employer or the individual going through the process is first, audit. I've heard about this Department of Labor audit. It sounds like the IRS audit. What does it mean? What can happen? Well, before the Department of Labor will approve or deny a case, the CO or the certifying officer will issue or may issue because they don't have to issue it in every case, may end up issuing an audit notification letter to request information either on the employer or the employee or whether there's a bona fide job offer or proof that the beneficiary is qualified, proof of the recruitment efforts of the employer, the results of recruitment, what are the other job-related lawful reasons for not hiring the U.S. workers who are qualified, etc. They can also ask in the Department of Labor audit notification about recent layoffs, resumes of people who actually applied for the job, and or business necessity justification which we just explained a minute ago, from the employer for why this particular employer requires additional or more than what the Department of Labor considers to be the normal or the standard for the particular job duties. In some cases, the Department of Labor certifying officer could deny a case without an audit notification letter. In such cases, it may be possible to provide all of the necessary documentation by filing a request for reconsideration to the certifying officer, and if that isn't successful, then filing a request for review with the Board of Alien Labor Certification Appeals, or BALCA. Well, one of the questions we're often asked is about ownership of the company because people say, well, it's my own company or my uncle's company or relative's company, etc." So the question to go through in the Department of Labor process is ownership of the sponsoring entity or relationship of the owners and the person being sponsored. So this is a problem because the Department of Labor requires that these kinds of relationships 
be disclosed on its current form, and usually it could result in an audit letter asking for the employer to explain how the recruitment could have been proper if there is such a close relationship or connection between the employer and the sponsoring sponsored employee. In such a case, the employer would need to show Department of Labor how the recruitment could have been conducted without the sponsored worker being influencing the process or being in any way instrumental in interfering with the process and that all other U.S. workers who applied for the job were treated fairly and given the opportunity to obtain this job. Remember we had mentioned a few minutes ago that we would explain business necessity? Well, that's the next important issue from the employer's perspective to remember with a green card sponsorship. Where the job requirements are greater than what the Department of Labor says is normal, the employer must show that all of these job requirements are necessary for the smooth and effective operation of the business. Anytime the employer's requirements exceed the job zone, well, the employer will now need to justify in the form of a business necessity letter the reasons that the employer has those different or higher requirements. If these requirements are essential to perform the job in a reasonable manner, the business necessity is established. So as the employer, your question may be, well, gee, how do I show that? Well, you show it with the past practices. You show it with industry examples. You show it with client requirements. The client requires the person to have A, B, C, or D to be a programmer analyst, to be a software engineer, to be a team leader, etc. And identify why the recruitment cannot be less for this specific position with this specific employer at this particular time. Common rule, which may, which sometimes uh, people tend to forget, but which makes a lot of sense, is let's always make sure that we don't check our common sense out at the door. Even if your case does not fall into one of these clean categories, think of why exactly you are requiring additional requirements and identify your business necessity and explain it clearly and succinctly to the Department of Labor. The one other question that people often think about is layoffs. How does a layoff affect the employer processing the case? Well, a layoff in the geographic area or in a particular industry, as most of you know, is a termination due to economic or other reasons. A layoff is not a termination for cause in most states. If there are layoffs within the last six months prior to filing of the perm, the employer must consider each of the U.S. workers who had been laid off by that particular employer based on the more detailed requirements in the Department of Labor's regulations that apply when there has been an employer layoff. A lot of employers choose not to process any perm cases for six months after layoff because they realize that it will require a jumping through a lot more hoops. Mindful of the time constraints, we believe we have touched upon all of the key issues that you as an employer and employee need to be aware of about the processing of a perm. So what are the key issues? Who is the employer? 
What is the sponsored job? What are the minimum requirements for the job? What is business necessity and how can an employer establish business necessity? What are the different employment-based categories? The other subsidiary issues are the audit by the Department of Labor, ownership of the sponsoring company being a potential problem, establishing business necessity, and considering if your employer has had layoffs in the same geographic area or industry within the past six months. At the end of the day, let's not forget, every perm case has its own particular and particular and peculiar issues that the preparer and the attorney and the company must be aware of. Each of these issues that we have discussed are ones that commonly affect perm cases of all types. Thank you for joining us today at the Murthy Law Firm.